Welcome to the Special Needs Kids Are People Too podcast with Amy Bodkin, EDS. Amy is an autistic adult who also happens to be a school psychologist turned special needs consultant and public speaker. She's also a homeschooling mom to two autistic kiddos, a yoga instructor, a card-carrying Trekkie, and an all-around fun person. And last but not least, Amy is an advocate for seeing every child as a person, not a diagnosis. Because a special needs kid is just like any other child, just more so. Here's Amy Bodkin. Hi. I'm Amy Bodkin, coming to you from the Blanket Fort in my office, and welcome to Special Needs Kids Are People Too. We are continuing our series of Q&A questions, and this time we have several questions about dealing with meltdowns and school refusal and those kinds of things. Christina asks, how do you redirect an autistic child who is maxed out and refusing to use coping techniques except the one involving you as an autistic adult with chronic illness and you are out of spoons because you've been meeting the needs of her plus three other neurodivergent kids all day? She's 11, been in OT for years, but flat out refuses to use her coping mechanisms to the point OT was no longer helping. When is medication something to consider because the meltdowns are frequent? She also has anxiety. I had horrible experiences with meds, so I had to learn other coping mechanisms, but she just won't. Rara asks, any advice on how to deal with emotional outbursts and stubbornness that come with the hormonal changes during tween early teen ages? And Teresa asks, what do you do with refusal when there are real requirements around school you have to meet? So guys, This is the reason we homeschool. (laughs) We get as homeschoolers to create an atmosphere that supports our kids so that they can be as successful as possible. We have complete control over what that atmosphere can look like. And honestly, it's really difficult to get a child to change anything. It's really difficult to get anyone to change, but we do have the ability to change the environment, the atmosphere that we are working in. It does not mean that if we have the right atmosphere, all of our problems will go away. (laughs) That's not how it works. And there is some concern that if you create the ideal environment, then what you will end up with is a child who is like a hothouse plant that cannot survive the stressors of life. But not all children develop to a point that they are capable of dealing with life's stressors at the same point. Some of us take a lot longer to get there, and that's okay. The point is, is that eventually we do have to learn how to cope and to deal with life stressors. There is no timeline on when that has to happen necessarily, though. And a lot of it depends on brain development, especially when it comes to executive functioning skills. If our executive functioning skills aren't functioning well, it's going to be really hard to use coping strategies and to be able to be successful at any number of things. Executive functioning skills are what we use to do pretty much anything. So eventually they will have to learn how to develop some coping strategies or some other way of moving forward. But that doesn't necessarily have to be today and definitely not in the teen years. (laughs) If you're going to learn any new skills, don't make it during the teen years. Because they're already dealing with a lot with their hormones changing. Trying to add on to that a lot of executive functioning that they weren't capable of before anyways, that's not going to help. But also, 
Continue to use this time to explore a variety of options. Sometimes the coping strategies we've learned aren't the ones that are the right fit for us. Sometimes there's other things that would be more helpful or more helpful at certain ages or stages. So exploring things like, you know, how do you feel inside your body? Do you feel okay? A lot of times when I see kids who are struggling, a lot of times there's some kind of physiological issue going on. Have we tried counseling? Sometimes there is some kind of emotional trigger or some kind of past experience or some way we're interpreting things around us that's having a negative impact. Have we tried yoga, martial arts, EMDR? There are so many different tools we have available to us these days. So those are all things. But as far as medication goes, especially in the teen years, I tend to be fairly conservative when it comes to medications myself, just because as a kid, I took Ritalin and Adderall, which are stimulants. And I've had a great deal of trouble with my adrenals. And I kind of feel like since they are stimulants, there may have been some kind of a negative impact. We don't really fully know. There's a lot of things about my health we don't know. (laughs) But I think that it does pay to be somewhat conservative with meds. However, um, there is one med for anxiety, which goes well with meltdowns a lot of times that I do often mention to parents. It's not medical advice. This is something you could talk to your doctor about and see what your doctor thinks. But I really do like the medication hydroxyzine. It's one that I and my kids have all taken, um, especially during times of great stress where there's nothing we can do about it but go through it because there are those kinds of instances and hormonal changes is one of those. So if you've reached a level of anxiety where you need help, medication can be a reasonable option. I like hydroxyzine because it's an antihistamine that functions as an anti-anxiety. It does not seem to be as impacted by hormonal changes happening in teenagers, which is important because there are a lot of medications that quit working as effectively when kids become teenagers because their hormones are changing and it impacts how effective the medication is. I also like hydroxyzine because it can be taken as needed, so then you don't have to take it unless you feel like you need it. And helping kids develop some body awareness of, well, what am I like when I need it? What does that feel like? Those are good coping skills to learn as well. I also like the fact that it's an antihistamine and a lot of the kids I work with have allergies. So it's kind of like, okay, we get a two for one here. Um, The one complaint about hydroxyzine is that it can make you tired. And I've found most of the time, most kids when they're anxious, if you give them a day or two, they'll adjust to it and it doesn't bother them anymore, most of the time. And I think that's just because a lot of the kids that I see taking it have such high levels of anxiety that if you give it a day or two, they're like, oh, this is fine. I've, I've actually had some kids I've seen take it where they didn't even need a day to adjust to it. Their anxiety was so off the charts. So I, I think medication can be an option. I love it when we don't have to taper up or taper off of medication because then we can take it as needed. And I think that that's nice. It allows kids to have a little bit more control over when they're choosing to take it. They get to see the difference. Are you homeschooling a student or want to be homeschooling a student who learns a little different from the average student? I'd highly recommend checking out a Charlotte Mason Plenary. A Charlotte Mason Plenary is a homeschool company focused on the philosophy of Charlotte Mason. Charlotte Mason was an educational philosopher in the late 1800s, early 1900s, who recognized the importance of not just educating a child body and mind, 
but also educating them as a whole person with a diet rich in the humanities, the studies of what makes us better human beings. It is not enough to know everything. You also have to know how to use that knowledge in a way that contributes positively to the world. A Charlotte Mason plenary has all sorts of resources for helping you do Charlotte Mason your way. We also have form guides over there that allow you to plan a customized curriculum in three easy steps. And I even partnered with a Charlotte Mason plenary to create a developmental form guide that goes with these guides that explains to you where to place your child and how to make all sorts of adaptations for different types of learners. Go check it out at cmplenary.com. So a lot of my answer to Christina's question is going to be more about setting the stage, preparing in advance. You know, what are we doing to avoid getting to the meltdown? And sometimes, yes, that can include medication. That is definitely a possible option. And going through hormonal change is really hard. Like, it's hard for anybody. It's even harder, I think, for autistic kids because we don't cope well with change. We don't even like our own body changes. So that can be a real challenge. Now, Rara had asked about how to deal with emotional outbursts and stubbornness that goes along with hormonal change. Eventually, hopefully, our kids learn to manage a lot of these outbursts themselves. They learn what triggers to avoid. They learn how to use coping strategies. But when they're in the midst of hormonal change, that's not always the time that they are capable of doing that. Sometimes they need help. And like we mentioned uh, regarding the previous question, sometimes medication can be helpful. But there's also other options besides medication. One of the things I do when my kids get really upset or in a big meltdown, I will tell them to go to their room because that is their safe place, their happy place, where they want to be. I don't tell them what to do. They're not being punished. I'm trying to help them find some time away to reset. And then I very often, especially during early teenage years, I bring them a cup of hot tea. I play their favorite music outside the door. I bring them whatever sensory object they need. So I'm basically teaching them to look for the tools that they need. They don't have it within them in that moment, especially when they're young teens, to be able to go, what do I need? And let me go find those things. But if mom can go find them, then they know, oh, this cup of hot tea soothes me or this cup of water or you know whatever it is that soothes that particular child. And we do this for them all the time when they're little. And a lot of ways when they're teenagers, they're a lot like they were when they were little. They're just bigger. A lot of times, actually, some of the same things that worked well with them when they were toddlers work equally well with them as teenagers, as long as we're remembering to respect their dignity as individuals. So providing those tools for your kids, helping them find them, that can be really helpful. Eventually, they will be able to find them themselves. Um, Also, sometimes we can think about in advance, especially if we know we're coming up against a trigger. Some of these things, it's a trigger and we don't know it's coming. We're completely blindsided by it. There's not a whole lot we can do to prepare. And so in that case, we're really dealing more with damage control. But there are other times where we do have some kind of awareness that we may be about to be triggered. And in those cases, one of the things we can do is develop a habit of kind of talking to ourselves about it. Okay, this is about to happen, and there's a very good chance that 
blank will happen and will trigger me. But if that happens, I can go find mom or I can go get this sensory tool or whatever it is. So talking with yourself, and a lot of times that starts out with parents talking with kids about those eventualities. That's, that's the prep work. We just don't always have the opportunity to do prep work because sometimes we get completely surprised by triggers. And then the third question was, what do you do with refusal when there are real requirements around school to meet? Okay, with this, I want to think, what are the real requirements? Are they what I think they are? Or are they maybe not as strict as they actually sound? Like, for instance, some states require that you teach history and science every year, including first grade. Some kids are not developmentally ready for science and history in first grade. Actually, I would say no first graders are ready for history because history involves a sense of chronology. So we can learn stories about famous people and places, but to be able to have a sense of chronology, that generally speaking doesn't happen till at least seven. But if you are in a state where you are required to do science and history and your child does not have the developmental skills necessary to be able to access those subjects, so let's choose a passive way of learning those subjects. Maybe for science, we watch Wild Kratts and Magic School Bus. We turn it on in the background. It does not matter if we are catching it all this time or not. This is not the only time they'll be getting science. We're checking someone else's box because someone thought that was a good requirement to make, despite the fact that it does not meet every single child's needs. So it's kind of a mixing two things together. There is what our child is ready for, what that child is capable of, what is going to help that child grow, educationally speaking. And then there's the requirements that people make to try to make sure that you are still doing a good job. And we can meet some of those requirements in a passive way through, you know, listening to a video. We're still getting something out of it. And then maybe later on, we do a more in-depth dive into science when they're more ready. So ask yourself, what do I legally have to do? And how can I possibly, like, what are the different options for meeting that need? Do I really need to complete an entire history curriculum in one year? Probably not. Do I have to use a certain grade level? Maybe we want to do five in a row because there's a lot of great stories that take place in different locations um, about different people. Maybe we want to do an herb fairies fun curriculum about plants and their remedies. That's a lot of fun. Is that usually considered a full-fledged science curriculum? Well, maybe not. But what's the requirement really say? Does it say to do a certain number of hours of science? Does it say to study particular topics? Does it say how that has to be done? Does it say if it has to be active learning or more passive learning? We have options. Look at what the instructions, the guidelines are really saying. What are they really requiring of you? And then find the ways that you can to bend the rules appropriately. Like we don't wanna break the rules entirely because that would not be legal. But bending them, as long as we're following the expectations, we can bend them, especially if they're not very specific about how that has to look. So getting creative with how we think about how we can set expectations of kids. Personally, I find in those early teenage years, don't set a lot of expectations. It's not going to go well for you. <laughs> There's a lot of stress going on, especially if you're an autistic teenager going through a lot of bodily changes. And quite honestly, this is why we homeschool. 
We homeschool because we want to be able to provide our kids with an environment that allows them to be able to function well, that accommodates where they need accommodations so that they can grow more effectively. If a child's stressed out, they're not going to grow effectively. But if we can provide an environment where they're not overly stressed out, they're getting just the right amount of stress, they're going to grow and they're going to do fine. How much stress a child can take is very individual. Depends on their personal makeup, their development, what other stressors they've had, what stressors they have right now. And by homeschooling, we get to create that environment. We get to set them up for success. And we also get to say, you know what, we're done for the day when meltdowns or outbursts happen and we need time to recover. And that's okay. It's okay to take a break. That's, that's the beauty of homeschooling. If you're going through a pandemic, if you're going through some kind of major medical crisis in your home, you can take a break and it's okay. All children grow. If you're not, if you're not growing, you're dying. Like if you're living, you're growing. If you're not growing, you're in the process of dying. So all children grow but they tend to grow at different rates. And executive functioning skills are some of the last skills that will develop because it involves so many different areas of the brain coming together. And because those take so much longer to develop, there's going to be a lot of times where kids don't manage their feelings well, where they don't handle situations well, and where we have to really work to support them because they're not ready to do it yet for themselves. And that's really what homeschooling is all about. And that's the beauty of homeschooling. When we homeschool, we get to look at that one child in front of us and look at that one child's needs and think, what environment will help this child be the most successful, to be their best selves? What is that? And then we can provide that environment. When you're in a school, that's not an option. You have to go with whatever setting is practical for a school with lots of children. And I think that autistic kids can be at a real disadvantage in schools during the high school years. Well, in schools during the middle school years, because there's all of those hormones changing. The expectations have not been dialed back. And the environment, at least in my experience, was either too hot, too cold, too loud, too much going on, too many expectations, trying to learn in a way that is not the way you learn best. And it just creates a lot of overload. And turns out, When you stress people out, they don't tend to grow as well. It tends to create trauma because we're sending that fight or flight system. We're kicking that fight or flight system into gear. And as children, our fight or flight system does not have an on off switch. So when we kick that stress into high gear and they go into fight or flight, they can't turn it off. And that is what results in trauma that has lifelong implications on our health. A lot of times people get worried, well, if I overprotect my children, they're not going to be able to function for themselves. And yes, we don't want to raise a bunch of hothouse plants that can't withstand the elements, but that doesn't mean that all children are ready for the same kinds of stressors at the same time. And especially if our brain isn't developing the way that other people's brain develops, we're gonna need more time and that's okay. So when it comes to these expectations, I think that we can work to reduce some of those expectations a little bit. It's not that we're avoiding expectations totally. We're just taking what's the next step. What can we do? Okay. And what's our next step? We're breaking it down into smaller pieces. Psychologists call this chunking. We take something that's really big, a really big skill, and then we break it down into smaller pieces. And we focus on one of those smaller pieces. And when we get done with that piece, we add the next piece. 
that's what we're doing with learning to just be able to live. We're chunking those skills down into tinier bite-sized pieces. And when we have a small enough piece, we can digest that and we can make use of it. But when you hand a baby an eight ounce steak, that's not gonna go very well. They don't have the oral development, the muscle development, the tooth development to be able to eat something like that. But if we give it small amounts of food it can access, then in a couple of years, yeah, that eight ounce steak is a lot more accessible. And it's the same way with kids growing and learning. When kids are able to do well, they generally do well. Sometimes they just need more time. Most of the time, I find that is the answer to most problems. Most of the time, it's that they need more time. Sometimes they also need help working through processing challenges or determining a hidden health issue or a number of other things. But a lot of times, if they have the tools that they need, giving it time, they will work it out. I didn't want to get into too many different aspects of this question today because it really is a little bit more complicated than just, this is why we homeschool. <laughs> we homeschool so we can create an environment that is tailored to what our children need. There's also the question that parents also have as to why schools are not always the best fit. Many times when people want to talk to me about homeschooling, either they want to know why I can't just send them to school, or they want to know what I plan to do to address the things that we don't have in a homeschool. Like, what are you going to do about social skills? Or, well, why do you think that you can provide a better education than an entire district that's one of the top districts in the state? And the, these are questions that are very commonly asked, and I think they are ones that also deserve an answer. So we're going to talk about that next week. I didn't want to do this all in one episode because it would have ended up being rather lengthy. So instead, I decided to go with two shorter episodes. So next week, we will be talking about this is why we homeschool as opposed to going to school. Whereas today we were talking about how this provides us the freedom of opportunity to be able to create the ideal atmosphere. Next time we will be talking about what kind of atmosphere that is common in a school that we're trying to avoid. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to talking with you guys about this next week. We hope you had fun listening to today's episode and gained some new insights into the wonderful variety of people in our world. You can find out more about Amy's advocacy work at amybodkin.com. And remember, special needs kids are people too.